0: Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Gang Grow, Retain podcast. Today, you've got Christy and Jay. Jeff is uh, busy preparing for his paternity leave. So he's going to be out for the next what
1: what, six or we- six weeks 60. or so, 60. probably seven.
0: Yeah, six or seven so, weeks. So We'll,
1: we'll guess make eight by the time he's caught up, right? So in the next yeah. few months or so, we'll welcome back into Q4.
0: There you go. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We got one more month until Q4, which is hard to believe, but excited for Jeff. He's got some fun plans to decompress and spend time with baby Caleb. So we're excited for him. Uh, It's funny, Christy, did you, you, you've seen the feedback that we've gotten recently. People love it when all three of us are on the podcast together. I know. And we just can't seem to get all three of us on the podcast. So
1: no, it's a, it is a fun dynamic with the third person. You don't realize how three really changes the conversation. Um, But we do all, I think three, while we are aligned on a lot of things, I think we bring a lot of different experiences and points of view. So I think that's where the nice, healthy balance yeah. comes in.
0: Yeah. And Jeff always likes, he, he does a good job of like, at least well, your, your thoughts aren't as random as mine, but he does a good job of like summing everything up and pulling it together and making it into a like, OK, we talked about three things in those bullet points like he's really good at that,
1: he's really good at that. Uh, it's definitely something that we'll we will not have in his absence. Yeah. That's OK. Yeah.
0: yeah. So if you're listening, take your own notes, make your own summation, because you won't be getting that from me and Christy.
1: Well, oh, Maybe listen to it twice. There you go.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <coughs> All right. Cool. So what we um, are going to talk about... Today, by the way, we've been talking about format for, for this segment of the podcast over the next six or eight weeks. And Christy and I have some ideas. We'll be bringing those, let's just say next week. Um, so stay tuned for that. But what we decided to talk about today is we got in this interesting little conversation about how you, how you got into customer success, but not really just how you got into customer success. Like Christy, I want to know a little bit more about your formative years. Right. What, what, what was your first inkling, you know, or if, as you look back, what was the, what was the first job or the first um, kind of thing you did that you look back now and say, man, maybe that was the beginning of my, uh of my customer success interest and in, in, in desire. So, tell me about tell me about your your first jobs growing up as a kid.
1: It's a great question, right? And it's something that like had I not spent the past decade in customer success, I don't know that I would have ever looked back and thought about my childhood in Through the same lens, right? And I think that that's really interesting. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've been working for as long as I can remember. Um, my parents, I grew up and my parents uh, have owned delis their whole lives for about 47 years. They retired last August, so a year into retirement now, but 47 years they own delis. And so the two of them both worked in the delis uh, all day, every day. It was uh, seven days a week, 364. They were off on Christmas. Um, but, you know, worked worked a lot. And growing up, we didn't have childcare. Um, and so my parents got really creative. And, you know, part of delis is you usually have like rolls and bagels and stuff like that. So they made a deal with the bakeries uh, in our local little town and said, hey, um, we're going to have our daughter come work for you. And this is it, as early as 10 years old. So they would drop me off at the bakeries in the morning when they picked up their breads for the deli. And I worked in the bakeries for like eight hour days, nine hour days at 10. Um, and I would stay there and I'd be making boxes, like assembling all those little white boxes that your pastries come in. Um, I'd be slicing loaves of bread on the slicing machine at 10 years old, uh, cleaning windows, right? Anything that the, the, the bakery shop needed me to do. But one of the things at one of the bakeries I worked at, um, which was an Italian bakery, was, you know, they had very extensive coffee bars. And now this is way before Starbucks and Dunkin' had blown up. And so these were not things. People went to the bakery to get their coffees in the morning. And all of the little, you know, my old Italian men would come in the morning asking for their espressos and their macchiatos and their cappuccinos. And at 10 years old, I had to learn to use these really, really, Complex coffee machines to make espresso for my customers in the morning. And as early as that, Jay, I was so focused on being the best espresso or coffee maker for my customers because I wanted them to always want me to make it. Like, I just had this maniacal focus on being the best at something and that people would come in and ask for me. And lo and behold, I I mastered the art of making um, my my espressos and my cappuccinos and and other coffee drinks. And every morning I would have a little line of all of my Italian men, after they would get their rolls, they would come over to me and wait for me to make their drinks because they didn't want anyone else to make it. And it's so funny because I never, it, it, I would have never given any of that a second thought had we not had this conversation, but thinking back, right. That was me delivering customer success, right. I knew that my customers were coming in to have a quiet place for them to chat, enjoy their coffee, have a warm roll, And I was so dedicated to making that a great experience for them, and that was as early as 10 years old. So that's my, I think as far back as I could go, Jay, thinking about my direct correlation to customer success. And that started at 10.
0: Where do you think the maniacal focus on being the best came from?
1: Oh, probably from my parents. I mean, like, listen, I came from a, a household where like, We were expected to get straight A's. We were expected to be top performers in everything that we did. And even if we weren't the best, that we always gave our best. Um, And so I think this has just been ingrained in me since I was a little girl. And that doesn't go away. Um, It's probably still part of why I am the way I am today. Thanks, mom, dad. But it was, it was just like this, I'm very competitive also, right? Like, and I didn't want anyone to be, I didn't want anyone else to make a better coffee than me. Like I wanted to have something that was mine that I could master and perfect. And I would joke with the little guys, right? Like I even had like great banter with them. I'm 10 years old, right? These guys were equivalent of my like, grandpa. Um, and we would chat in the mornings and they would always talk to me about school or, you know, other things. And I don't know, it was just, I wanted, I wanted to be wanted. I wanted to be the one that they asked for. So I don't even know, you know, outside of just that, that's probably the drive of of what it was, but it was definitely probably more self-serving than it was about them.
0: That is really interesting. Very interesting. So what was your next job?
1: Oh, okay. So I did bakeries and pizzerias and things like that for as long as I can remember. I cleaned houses Um, When I was in high school. So that was actually probably my favorite job, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I grew up in Long Island uh, in New York, but on the on the Gold Coast, as they would refer to it. So these were homes where really wealthy families who lived in Manhattan they would have one of their summer homes uh, on the on the North Shore and then the other ones in the Hamptons. I would clean that secondary home. So that middle one on the Gold Coast. And so I've go to these homes and I would do laundry and make beds and strip beds and clean and do dishes and vacuum and clean bathrooms. And let me just tell you, there is nothing more therapeutic than cleaning for me. I love it. It is rewarding. And when you are done, you get to look back and see how clean and sparkly everything is. I don't know. I love that. So I've done it all. Um, was never a waitress or a waiter and I never worked in retail. Okay. So those are two things I never did that I feel like are very popular jobs for I think a lot of uh, teenagers. Never never waited at tables and didn't work in retail.
0: But the deli and the coffee bar is very much a hospitality job the way you oh,
1: described it. yeah. Oh, like I said, in the pizzeria too. That was another favorite pizzeria. job of mine. Yep. What
0: did you do in the pizzeria?
1: What didn't I do? Oh, okay, I didn't make pizza, um, but I manned all the phones, right? Like you have Friday, Saturday nights, super busy time. This is before uh, DoorDash and Grubhub and Seamless, right? Like people actually picked up a phone and called in an order. Um, so I would do that. Often our delivery guys, because again, this is before, even before MapQuest. uh, So we're going that far back. They didn't know where they had to go for a lot of these places. So I would even have to go and map out on an actual map directions for our drivers. So they knew where to go to get to the houses, to make the deliveries. But then I was working the counters, right? So people coming in, asking for slices. I'd heat things up. I'm bringing things to tables, cleaning tables off. I guess that was the extent of my waiting tables was just bringing food to the people and cleaning up after them but yeah i and i that job was probably my favorite the pizzeria what was your worst job oh okay uh worst job um i worked at all state in high school um just as like a a secretary answering phones and doing filing. And again, before computers were used the way that they were used, people had paper files of insurance claims and policies and things like that. And that just wasn't fun for me. I didn't interact with anybody outside of my boss who would tell me like, Policies I need to pull and things I need to file. And like, it was just busy work. And this is again before AirPods. So I didn't have like, it's not like I had Spotify or podcasts in my ears while I was doing this work. It was like quiet and lonely and uh, boring. So I needed the people interaction, which I, I get. I was going to say
0: that's the thread that I saw in everything else that I didn't That's see to interact with people
1: yeah. And, de- yeah and and deliver an experience for them um working by myself was not for me which is why I also knew that accounting probably wouldn't have been a lifelong career
0: mm. absolutely it's really interesting so what did you do in college for work
1: um I worked at a florist for a little while so making bouquets and things like that, that literally lasted about two weeks before I was like, okay, not for me. I had cuts all over my hand. I was like bleeding all the time. I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, as a girl who likes a freshly manicured hand that just wasn't vibing. Um, so I ended up getting a job at an ophthalmologist hmm. and I actually got trained as a technician and was doing like Pre and post-op uh, procedures and and kind of uh, evaluations on cataract surgeries, people that were having um, LASIK eye surgery. I was teaching folks how to put in contacts. Uh, I was doing glaucoma tests, uh, regular vision tests. I was assisting our, our uh, um, optometrists in the in the office during exams and things like that, suiting people for glasses and um, then obviously all the administrative stuff like booking appointments and following up with insurance and again, paper filing, because that was a thing. Um, so doing all the back office stuff. Yeah. My least favorite part is fighting with insurance companies. Um, that is something I learned very early about myself, probably also from the Allstate stuff. But Yeah, there's
0: another common thread there. Yeah, yeah. Insurance.
1: insurance companies. And you know what? Today, it's probably still abandoned by existence if I get an insurance uh, something in the mail and I have to go chase it down and find out why I was billed. Um, but yeah, uh, but I loved that. I loved working in the doctor's office, and I did that all throughout college uh, for a couple of years until I got my first job.:
0: In your first job?: Out of college. Out of college? Yes. Out of
1: college. So I actually got my first job when I was writing my thesis. So I was writing my thesis in college before I graduated and actually landed my first job, and I was in uh, online what was it? it was called an ad master. At the time, an ad master. Okay, so this is when the internet was didn't now. say master internet, anymore. The internet is a thing now at this point in my in my career. Um, and online advertising is like the biggest thing. Um yep. ad serving, right? So like people having those banner ads, remember you'd have like a big one on the top, you'd have a square one in the middle, a half page ad. And this is even before the ads did anything fancy, like disrupt your entire life. Um they just kind of just sat there. So I was responsible for working with our sales team taking all of the, what they called insertion orders and making sure that I got all of the creative from the different teams. I served them. I had to make sure that they delivered. We had the certain number of impressions and clicks, but do all the analysis on it and basically act as their campaign manager to make sure all the ads were were happening and working as they should.
0: So that's how you got into marketing.
1: That's how I got into marketing. And advertising. Yeah, that just kind of like parlayed into the first 10 years of marketing. But that was my first job. And I loved that job. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, I didn't interact with too many people outside of our internal teams. But it was easy for me to be really good at, Jay. Like it was I clear direction, right? Like you would receive an insertion order that says... Here's the ads that have to serve. This is where they go. How many they have to do. I'm programming it all into our systems. I'm making sure that things delivered. I'm I'm verifying things. I'm doing campaign analysis, looking at all the data, finding ways to optimize it. And I I don't know. There was something about that work I loved. When I think back to my professional career, like that was a job where I was like, man, every day, even though it wasn't like super, super exciting, there was something about it. I loved that job.
0: Is it because you could control the outcome? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes. And that's also why I loved marketing, right? Because you can measure it and the immediacy of it, right? Think about it. You throw something up on the internet, right? Think about an email campaign, right? You send it out, you know who it's going out to, you know who looked at it, who clicked on it, how they responded. You could have call to actions on it and the you can measure it same day, next day, two days, right? It is easy to connect your work to the value and, oh, wow. I mean, there is something I loved about that.
0: Yeah, it's uh, that's a powerful concept, being able to see in real time the results of your work. Which-, which
1: is interesting, right? Because how hard is customer success often to be able to prove the value, right? So I went from an industry that was like, so easy, right? You do this, you see that. To this, where it's like, you do a whole bunch more and it's like, oh God, I don't know. Did it work? Did it not work? Is it working today? Is it working tomorrow? Working a year from now? Maybe.
0: So what keeps you going now?
1: Going back to the coffee shop. Now it's the people thing again. Yeah. Um, yeah. it is just really, I do think that the work that we do is super rewarding. I don't, I don't know now, having done what we've been doing for for however long we've been doing it, right? Like after customer success, I just don't think that there is anything else. I don't think that there is anything else that will motivate me to get up every morning and get me back at my desk in my house all day, every day. Right. Yeah. With the same level of passion and enthusiasm and excitement and fear and, you know, optimism that this job does. I mean, for, for all the good and for all the bad, I love this.
0: Would you ever want to be a CEO of a company?
1: (sighs) You know, it's interesting. So I, I'm, I'm too young to think that this is where my career ends. Right. Like, right.
0: um,
1: I, I don't think that like being a chief customer officer is the end all be all and, like this. this is it for me, especially not at 40. Um, there's gotta be something else. I don't know. Um, I think that my fear of failure is probably my biggest barrier to saying that that is something I want to do.
0: Say more. Where does that come from?
1: Nobody ever asks me to say more, Jay. It's usually say less. Um, You know, it's, there's so much I know I don't know that I don't know if I'll be good at it. And the thing that I love about the work that I do is that I'm good at it and I know I am. And again, going back to this, like I want to be the best at what I do. I'm scared, right? I'm scared of not being the best. I'm scared of not being good. I'm not... I'm scared of not knowing enough or, or making big mistakes. And I feel like at that level, making big mistakes has a, a greater impact. And I worry about that. And I worry about it because of the people, um, right? Like as your CEO of a company, the decisions you make have real impact. Look at how many companies had to do layoffs because of probably some poor decisions that were made that impacts real people and families. And, you know, you make a product decision that, that doesn't, go the right way. You drive a strategy, right? You, you make a bet. These are big bets. These are big, they're different. They have different levels of impact. And not to say that that is not an avenue that one day I'll, I'll feel ready for, but today I'm not.
0: Okay. So when you got into customer success, weren't there a lot of things you didn't know about customer success? or did yeah, you so not the
1: know cool what you did? Nobody else knew either. Nobody else knew. <laughs> like 10 years ago, yeah. we are all figuring it out, right? 11 years oh, ago, yeah. like everyone yeah. was we were, we were we were defining it. We were designing it. Um and so I think I kind of liked I liked that because I felt like yep. it was an even playing field, right? Like there was nobody who was so awesome at it already and figured it out and knew everything. I think if I was transitioning into customer success today, a me with my personality and my traits, I'd probably feel a little bit more intimidated than I did 11 years ago when I was jumping yeah. into.
0: Well, there's a, there's a lot of people now, including yourself, that know a lot, share a lot about yeah. what this is and what it's not, and how it works and what the processes are. So,
1: but that's I, what I just you think. Know, it, right? There's there's more resources now than there were before. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they we were a little bit of the blind leading the blind. So it was kind it did feel a little even for everybody back then. Yeah. But the cool thing now that we didn't have is that you have folks like us and and so many others in the industry that are so willing to share and to educate and to enable folks on how to do this really well and thoughtfully, and even to think differently about it, right? And to be more progressive in how we approach it and challenge even some of the successes we've had. Um, And so I do think that that is a competitive advantage today versus when we started. That's
0: why I asked the question about CEO because you know, on some level, I think every SaaS company is a customer success company. Vertical SaaS companies have to be highly attuned to the industry they serve. It is about how everything fits together. Some of the biggest challenges I think that you will face, that I face as a CCO are at the boundaries between the different departments that we have that serve customers. How does marketing work? How does sales work? How does product and engineering, how do they work and how do all those things fit together to deliver an experience for the customer, but also a great product and a great outcome for the customer reliably every single time. There's a lot that goes into that. And and I think that this industry is sort of at a tipping point or there's a sort of a reckoning happening where it's not good enough to just be sales driven. To have this sales experience as a CEO, you actually have to have exposure to product. You have to have exposure to marketing. You have to have exposure to customer success and the processes there. So I think there's a world where more customer success leaders become CEOs, frankly, but they have to get more business experience, more sales you know, more, more marketing, making those hard decisions, right? Because you're right. Where do do you spend marketing dollars? That's the, on the performance marketing side, yes, you can see the results of your actions very quickly, but what if the money's not in the right place? Like there's bigger strategic questions about where, where you, what programs do you spend on? What audiences are you targeting? How are you going to market? Those are the bigger, scarier decisions that have to be made.
1: Yeah, like I said, I think that one day I'll get there. But let's also be honest with ourselves. I've, I've been in the C-suite for five months, um, so let me uh, let me learn a thing or two or three, and and figure out where this journey is going to take me.
0: I feel like I'm pushing you there, but that's not my intent. I'm just
1: curious. You have <laughs> no, that. You yeah. have the Type
0: A personality. To be
1: listen, I I strong think CEO. I don't think that I can't. I think that I have, a, I have a little bit more to learn.
0: Yeah, yeah, we all do. Well that's true. Great. This has been a good discussion.
1: But now can we flip this conversation around, Jay? So you can we start with where you asked me this question? Is so let's take a let's take a look into your your past and where okay. did you see customer success pop up for you?
0: So interesting. You and I had a little bit of the same kind of background. So my parents owned they owned like concession stores in, 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 the mall. Um, and we had popcorn, we had candy, we had drinks, we had gifts. It's like a gift shop basically. And I was the same thing. I was seven years old behind the counter, ringing people up, learning from my mom. Um, we didn't have childcare either. The, sort of, you know, we were, it was tight, a tight upbringing, I would say money wise. And, um, So I spent many, many, many days, especially during the summer in these stores working with my mom and her showing me how to do things and um, how to do things well and do things right. I remember such a little thing, um, but my mom had, you know, she she had these methods for making the products, whether it be a, a drink or the popcorn itself, right? That we would that we would sell to people. And if there was a bad batch, if it was slightly burnt, if it was, you know, didn't have the right mixture of ingredients in it, she would know and she'd throw it out. And if people came back and had a complaint, no questions asked, she'd replace the product. She'd take the money back, give the money back, whatever it was to make it right. I just always remember for really focusing on the quality of the output. Um, and so that we, that was sort of my, my upbringing for many, many years. Um, and really where I learned how to learn about business at, at its most basic sense and in, in service, I would say customer service and hospitality on my part. Um, yeah. So very very, you know, it, my, what we were selling was not as sophisticated as what you were selling. But
1: I would hardly was, call uh bread and donuts and pastries sophisticated.
0: Okay. Well, you're selling espresso. So that, that's okay, what I okay. was. All
1: right. The, the <laughs> coffee the coffee's took a little work for me to master. Um I'll tell you now though, outside of a, a drip coffee, I don't know that I could go back and, and and make a great espresso or cappuccino again.
0: <laughs> I remember um, being in the, in the store one day and I was, I don't know, eight or nine, very young and somebody walked in and I, and I, as I normally did, I would say, Hey, can, can I help you? Like, what, what can I get for you? And this person said to me, no, but she can, she was and he pointed to my mom, like, I want an adult to help me. And it was like a dagger in my heart. Mm-hmm. It tore me up. Um, because I, I, cl- I knew what I was doing. I had been taught by my mom and I could do everything that needed to be done. I could do it well, but I, I, that, I, I don't know why, but that always sticks out for me as like, uh, a, uh, a, a trauma way too strong a word, but like, just something that I'll never forget how rude that dude was. And, you know, I've never, I've always, you know, wanted to be careful how I treated people in those, in the service industry as a result of that. So.
1: Well, it's so funny that you use it as an example, because I think about this as, as we see it in our day to day, it's like a customer who doesn't want to speak with a CSM, right. Mm -hmm. And they want to speak with somebody with a different title. Um, And almost only because of that, because I don't know about you, but like my CSMs, they're darn good. Like yeah. they know the product better than I know the product. They are very well equipped to have very strategic conversations. And anytime that I'm brought in, I'm always like, well, I think to myself, well, what value am I adding here that my team can't add yeah. outside out of my title? And it's, it's very yeah. interesting because it's a similar thing, right? Like when somebody makes an assumption that somebody with a different title or a different role or a different tenure is going to be able to deliver a different experience or a better experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I guess what, what I've learned in my older years and I'm still learning it and I'm not that old, but um, is you can't let other people's attitudes that they bring impact yours. right? So if you do have the customer that's hard to deal with, that's on them. That's not on you, right? If you're a CSM or if you're whatever role you're in, I mean, it happens to us too, right? Sometimes people don't want to talk to the CCO. They want to talk to the CEO and you're like, well, I can do more for you than the CEO can, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) But not really, right? Like, so, you know, you just have to sort of let, those those are, um, I heard it said the other day that, they're just taxes in life on everything like part of the benefit of being in a in a role let's call it the csm role having a great job as a csm is that you know sometimes people rub you the wrong way and that's just a tax that you have to pay you have to be you have to understand that those things are going to happen and be prepared to to respond to them appropriately and not get flustered anyway i don't know how we got down that path but
1: well i mean it's interesting i'd also like to to on like when you get to when you're in the world where you're dealing with customers, whether it's a customer success role or any any role where you're kind of interfacing, you gotta also learn to compartmentalize those things, right? Somebody making a comment or making a demand or an ask or or even requesting that they want a different CSM, right? Those things don't define your worth and your value. Yeah. And I think it's really important to realize that early on. It's probably something, a lesson that I would have probably taught myself to focus on more. I put all of my self-worth in those moments, and sadly, those were setbacks for me because yeah. I let them I let them be
0: oh, and, and I've let them be for decades as well. And so I have the same kind of drive, I think that you do. I don't know. maybe you have more of it than I do, but I don't think so it, it's the the I've always been a scorekeeper. <coughs> I hate to admit this, but like I keep score. I try not to do this much as much anymore, but I I do notice, like, I want to be the best at what I do the same way you do. And because, and for years, I thought that's where my worth and my value came from is by what I did. So, but for me now, my worth and my value is intrinsic, right? And I believe that about you. I believe that about me and I believe that on about every person on this planet. And so if you can get your head around that and, you know, it it helps you not take things so personally, right. But it takes work to get there. It took a lot of work for me to get there. I will say, you know, my, my, my mom was a hard driver too. She, she expected me to get A's in school. She, she, because she felt like I was capable of doing these things. So, her standards were very high. Yep. Um, one thing that I this is my mom always used to tell me how smart I was, and if you've read any parenting book, you know recently you will you will read like don't don't praise the the brilliance, don't praise the output or the outcome, praise the the activity right? The activity levels, the, um, are you putting the right amount of work in based on what you're capable of doing? Because at the end of the day, like I I think about it now with my kids, our kids have so much pressure on them. I feel like I'm all over the place, but they have so much pressure on them. And you know, some of us did too, as kids to be the best. And so like you did too, what I just heard,
1: I know, but it feels different for our kids now, Jay. I, I don't know if you agree or disagree, but like,
0: yeah.
1: I think about all the pressure I felt like I had the weight of the world that only came from my parents' expectations of what I should be achieving. But today, I feel like our kids literally have the weight of the world, which extends yeah. far beyond right. Like, it's not the expectations of the parents; it's the expectations of the teachers and the the universities that they're going to want to apply to, and yeah. their careers. and it, it just feels like more. For our kids I agree. Wow, and I mean, I look at my daughter, who sadly has developed severe anxiety as a result of all the pressure she puts on herself. Mm. And you know, we try to step it back as parents and not add to that. But it's crazy, right? Like we have really high expectations for ourselves that that's coming from all different places, right? Whether it's us or our children or wherever. And these expectations, I think, play a big part into our output and our mindset.
0: Yeah. I mean, even even kids sports today seem more like semi-professional sports to me than they do recreational.
1: Uh, yes. One thing daughter, I noticed very high early. High school tryouts right now for her soccer team that are like three hour try out sessions each morning this week for from six six thirty in the morning. I mean, it's like, and they're doing drills, and I'm like, do professional soccer players do these things? I'm like, <laughs> I was like, do I, yeah. do you not do you have a water break? Like, I mean, it's the drills that they're running are intense, and I'm well, like, well, and,
0: and the only re, the wow. only way you can make that team is if you play year round, right? Because because that's the other thing is there's no such thing as a seasonal recreational sport. I was involved in all kinds. I played <laughs> baseball, T-ball, basketball, <laughs> soccer, but I, but I did it, you know, once a season, once a year yeah. for yeah. six or eight weeks. Right no, now and these kids the are on whatever.
1: multiple teams or on travel teams. They're competing in all different areas. I mean, it's, it's yeah. crazy. Uh, yeah. it's probably also the way I stopped playing sports and went to cheerleading, although cheerleading is a sport. Cheerleading
0: is too. Um, My daughter's in cheerleading.
1: But I, I, I enjoyed that far more than a lot of what, what I was experiencing in sports. And that was what, 25 years ago. I mean, the kids now, it's very yeah. different.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, the, you know, I, I think there's a there's a lot of stuff that comes along with with all that and, and, and working at a young age. And but I, I'm I I count myself very lucky to have had those experiences from a very early age, you know, and, and being entrusted with that, and having the expectations of my parents, you know, to, to help and be part of Now, My mom always like tells me you didn't work that hard. Like you, you never wanted to work in the store. But all I can remember is working in that store. Maybe it's just because I was there. Right. And it felt like being there was a job. But, um, but it was interesting. I learned a lot as a kid watching that. And
1: do you think that all of that because I I do for myself but I'm curious to see how you feel. Do you think it contributed to your work ethic?
0: Um yeah, I do and I don't know for me I've I've actually been trying to diagnose this in myself here lately is you know what what actually does drive me because I've always been a hard worker. I've always um really dug into things. On my own, and, and really, you know, developed interests. And like when I was in college, I taught myself how to program, and you know, I became I. That that was how I got my first job. So I came out of out of college in two thousand and one, and in two thousand and one, <laughs> it was a bad year. I mean, it was the, it was it was the first recession that I remember as a professional out of college. Was my first year out of college. <laughs> And it was when the dot com bubble crashed and or burst. And it's when nine eleven happened. Yep. But the only reason I had I got basically a couple of job offers. One couple of them were crap. But the the one that I got that I took was I got that job because I had taught myself how to program and I had done things independently. And so whenever I've latched onto something, I've always worked very, very hard at it. And I continued, you know. In the first years of my career were really every year of my career I asked my wife, like just working very, very hard to learn and to you know get into new things and, and explore new areas. When uh like I I tell the story sometimes when I first became a manager of people, it was really a result of me having dug in and assumed a team lead role for a consulting team that I was part of at at BlackBod before anybody gave me the, op- gave me permission to do that. You know, I dug in, I was super interested. In how does the p work for our team? Um, you know, how do we think about staffing? How do we think about selling our solutions? Um, what adjustments could we make to that? And, and how can I be involved and in, in do those things? Can I get involved with sales calls? Yeah, you can. And And I did. And, you know, I think just that, sort of natural curiosity and, and I feel like I'm tooting my own horn here, but just being willing to dig in and and work hard, maybe a little harder than everyone else has always served me well. And I think it did, did came, come from my parents at the end of the day.
1: It's funny because I do think like we see a lot of people, I mean, I come across tons of resumes of folks who are just like, Hey, I'm trying to get a job and I want to do this. And I look at all these resumes and it's like the one thing because I think that would separate all these people apart from others is like that innate hard work and drive, right? Like yeah. sometimes even more so than the experience or the direct uh, you know, well, I wouldn't say skill set, but like there's something to be said about that, right? Like, yeah, can you just work hard? Are you self motivated? Are you driven? Um, because Without that, I just don't think that you can be as successful.
0: I completely agree. And I heard somebody say something this week that was really along the lines of what you just said. But he, he, um, we were talking about interviewing people and he was like, What I look for is intrinsic motivation, things that, you know, it's the X factor, right? You don't want to be motivated by incentives or, praise or external like carrots and sticks, right? That's that's not that's not really the way to you don't want to frankly, I don't want to hire those people. Yeah. Right? I want people that it's
1: hard. It's hard to manage that.
0: It really is. Now it's even harder to identify it before you hire somebody, right? One of my favorite interview questions, I got a couple of favorite interview questions, but I ask people, you know, Tell me what what one of the things in your career that you were the most proud of, and I don't care. Like you can ask that question to a college graduate too. Don't talk. You don't mm-hmm. position it as career. You position it as in your you know what project or yeah. even yeah. a job. Like did you have a job that you? What was one thing you did? It, in I life mean, life?
1: regardless, right? They're proud of something. It could have even been hey they they were the pitcher of their baseball team and it took them right. to right like yep pride in that
0: yeah. And, and you can, that, that sort of gives you insight. What do they pick to talk about and what are they proud of? Are they just proud of something that they took the initiative to do? Right. Or, or was it something that was forced upon them to do it, yeah. but they ended up proud of, it? but you you could tell a lot about intrinsic motivation based, based on, on that question, I think so.
1: I love that. So for everybody who doesn't have that as part of their interview questions, there's an easy one for you to fill at least 10, 15 minutes.
0: Yeah. The The next one is, okay, so that's what you're most proud of. Tell me about the biggest mistake you've ever made in your career that you learned the most from. Gotten some doozy answer. I've, I've chosen not to hire people based on what they shared with me.
1: Oh, it, Which is tricky,
0: right? Which is tricky because you're asking yeah. people to be very vulnerable.
1: Yeah. But...
0: sometimes they share stuff. It's like, Whoa, that was not good. Like why (laughs) did you share that one? Because you didn't even really learn from it. So that's a tricky (laughs) one. That's a trick question. You got to be careful answering it. But uh, what I'm looking for there is are you self-aware and you know, are you growth growth minded?
1: Yeah. No, those are two. Those are two great ones. As you're asking them, as you're saying those questions, I'm thinking back to my career and how would I respond to both? Like, what would I be the most proud of? And then like, what is that biggest failure that I have that I think I learned the most from? I'm not going to tell you my answers. Cause I haven't, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't figured out which they are. I, mean, I've t- I have so many failures. that This oh. the is so long. I do not know which one I would choose. I think I probably have more on my failure list than I do on the things I'm most proud of.
0: Well, you, you remember the failures more
1: which is sad because you should also put some weight in all of the success.
0: Exactly. But the failures teach you more. They really do.
1: Yeah. No, I, listen, I'm, I'm the world's greatest learner.
0: Um. <laughs> I was going to say, I know a lot <laughs> about what not to do.
1: I'm well taught.
0: Yes. Yeah. This is a good conversation. I like this.
1: Yeah. So, I, think, listen, I, I learned a lot about you today, Jay. Um uh, know and I you learned too. That we have our backgrounds are very similar, and like uh-huh. how we got to where we are, which doesn't surprise me. I don't think, just given how I think we we are very on the same page with a lot of things. Very, yeah. very like-minded individuals.
0: Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about the job that I hated the most. Too. Okay, well, what do you got? And getting? it was in one summer in college, I got roped into joining this painting crew, which is like a it was run by a college kid. It was a franchise and basically they recruited college kids to do to be painters for the summer. The money was fine. I guess we got paid hourly. Um, but it was the worst job I ever had. And I just put two and two together. Well, it was the worst job because I was, I'm sort of not good with heights and I was hanging off the side of a ladder in the mountain. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, things like that. Yep. Like what am I doing? And it was very, um, the work was very, uh, it was, I'm trying to think of the right word. It. I was doing it on my own uh, in a lot of cases. It was very individual work. Yeah, just back to
1: my Allstate example. Yes, Not exactly,
0: fun. exactly. I just put two and two together as you were saying that. <laughs> so there's a common thread there for me too, which is I've always enjoyed teamwork and working as groups to accomplish bigger, bigger things and um so i know i just thought of that 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 you know a lot of my work has always been with teams and that's the way i like it so
1: yeah i well listen i obviously based off of my my stories and my examples i agree i will say though yeah. i don't hate my alone time <laughs> um that it's is more, one more valuable to appreciate yeah. uh and use differently and value differently um And so as much energy as being with people and being engaged in conversations gives me, I need to recharge and to recharge that. I need some alone time, some time to focus, right? Like this is where the deep work that we do as leaders that, that really does give me what I need to then be able to go and be as engaged as I can be in different conversations and I'm working with, with people.
0: Yes. We were in, San Francisco a couple of weeks ago for, I was there for the entire week. I got in Monday and I left Friday.
1: I was there for less than 24 hours. <laughs>
0: yeah. You, you had a quick in and out trip, but what we did. So what is it? Wednesday night. We had yes. a couple of happy hours. We, we met with everybody in the community. It was awesome. I had done some of that Tuesday night, the night before as well. And all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday. Right. And all day Thursday. Thursday yep. And by Thursday at like 3 p.m., I was done. Yeah. I didn't I didn't go out. I literally sat in my hotel room. I ordered DoorDash. Yes. I watched Stranger Things, caught up with my daughter, who I'm watching that with on the episodes. And um I did not go out of my room.
1: Yeah. I, mean, I didn't go just, to another happy hour. Those trips yeah. are hard. And I think that people can sometimes forget that, right? Like yep. it's a lot of energy to be that present in those types of social settings yes. where there are so many people and it is so many different conversations and to just be that on, it's hard.
0: It's work. It really is. And I'm an extrovert. So I, I can only imagine you're an extrovert too. I believe. No,
1: it's i actually think that i'm an extroverted introvert i really do love being alone which seems to never happen in this house but i i would really like to be i would really like to be alone is the pitch for me being alone sometimes but I, I like the the quiet downtime like i actually do some of my best work and things i'm most proud of independently yeah. and alone and when i'm focused and i do love that it's why i actually really like I don't love running, but I like running because yep. I do it alone, right? I can yeah. just be present in myself, um, and so I do. I think that I might be an extrovert introvert.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Test
1: myself, but I, I, I'm sticking with that for now.
0: There's a book that um, I was turned on to called <laughs> Deep, Deep Work. Have you heard of this book before, no, Cal, New- Cal Newport? Um, so I, I have to go get my it. list right now. Yeah, I'll have to go back and I need to refresh myself on it. But it, the whole idea is like, you you cannot you cannot do great work unless you do find focused time to do it. Yeah, alone, right? Yeah. Alone with your thoughts. One of the things that I've spent a lot of time doing. I've always wanted to be a writer. I don't know why. I always wanted to be a blogger or a writer or something. I've always had that itch, and as I've written more and more, because I started writing, you and I both started writing on LinkedIn about the same time. That has been awesome for me for a couple of reasons. One is because I'm writing a lot, but then I'm also back to the measurement and keeping score. I I can also see the fruits of my labor, just like when you were posting those ads, when you were the ad master. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think there's so much power to writing down your thoughts And I'm learning it more and more, not not even, you know, um, there's an interesting story. I can't remember where I picked this up, but I think it was Abraham Lincoln used to write letters when he was pissed off at somebody or frustrated. He would write letters that he would never send Mm. um, addressing a certain issue or but what it was for him was therapy. Yeah, it was. And it was clarifying his own thoughts because they're in black and white on paper so that then he could either go on with life and leave them behind or have the right discussion downstream. whatever, however, he needed to respond and react to that. And so, um, you know, but but writing, I think, is a really powerful tool for us all whether you do it for public or you do it for yourself. And one of the things that I've learned just recently is, you know, I I've, I've tried to do journals for a long time just to keep a journal and um, I've never really been able to stick with it. But what I realized is I was always writing the journal as if somebody was going to be reading it later.
1: Oh, interesting. So you're almost yeah. filtering.
0: Yes. And trying to, maybe polish it a little too much or position yeah, yeah. what I'm saying. What, and, and what I've realized, and this is literally like over the past eight weeks is that no, no, no. Everything I write down is for my own therapy. It's for me. Yeah. It's not for anybody else and it's never going to be. So I'm just going to write whatever I'm frustrated about, whatever makes me happy that day, whatever emotions I'm having. And it's all about therapy. It's not for Anybody else to consume. I don't know. Maybe this is really I so I feel like it's like it's stupid, like I should have known that <laughs> before I was 43 I know, years
1: old. Right. Like I I I don't I don't know that to be true, right? Like I think that some people do filter their thoughts even when it is for private consumption. Right. Um, but being more open and being more authentic, and I think removing that that fear or or kind of thought that someone else might read it and you'll be exposed. Right. You got to remove that so you can be, so it actually does serve you well or else yeah. you're just writing to write and you're just taking up time. Do you, um, do you journal? So I was gifted uh, the five minute journal by by a dear friend of mine, actually somebody who used to work for me years ago. And she had mailed me this gift for one holiday and said, here, she's like, I love it. It's a, It's a great, easy way. And it's called the five minute journal. And you basically spend a couple of minutes in the morning and a couple of minutes at night, you kind of lead with gratitude, you end with reflection. And for me, I found that that is the only journaling I can do just because it is so low effort. Yeah. And listen, I mean, for those of people that know me, I go to the gym at five o'clock in the morning. Right. So first thing in the morning, I don't really have a ton of time. I get up at four so I can get ready to be at class at five. I can only give five minutes. And I do try to do it the first thing outside of brushing my teeth and taking out Invisalign. uh, It's like, go and put some pen to paper, craft my thoughts for the day and kind of lead with gratitude because it also helps me in the gym, right? It actually helps put me in a good mindset so I can go and I feel the most motivated and I feel the most inspired and I feel the most grateful. So that journal has been really helpful. I don't know that I can commit to a blank sheet of paper without prompts. uh, and let the words flow, not because I couldn't do it, I just don't like, you know, at the end of the day, the last thing I want to do is anything. Uh, oh just,
0: yeah, yeah. I don't, it's hard have, to do at night.
1: I don't have another ounce of me to give at night, uh, to to even pick yeah. up ahead and like really craft any meaningful thoughts. I mean, if I'm forging forming sentences at that point in the day, uh, I'm pretty proud of myself. I really just kind of I'm there, I'm there for the TV for the last 30 minutes of my day, maybe some reading and that's it.
0: Yeah. I have a, a set of prompts that I've written in the front of my notebook. So two things I write down every day are, what did I, what was my alcohol intake the, the previous day? Oh. And what exercise did I do the previous day? That's it. And if I did nothing, I just write nothing. So that always gives me a very simple starting point. Okay. And then you just track something, track anything. Maybe it's like, okay, I'm going to track how many times I swear. The day before did I do oh, a new good. <laughs> who,
1: who has enough post for that?
0: Christy, don't track that. Don't track that. Uh,
1: no, yeah. no, no. That's so interesting that those so, are two Yeah. I mean,
0: those are the two things that I just write down and I, I picked up these tips because I was like searching <laughs> around for like, how do you journal? And they were, they were all these things that came out and then there's these other like prompts, like what frustrates you or what, do, what are you frustrated in? What do you, you know, what emotions are you having? What um? What are you grateful for? I, I, would you said gratitude is such a powerful thing because it's easy for us to get wrapped up in whatever we've got going on, but let's not forget. Like I wrote the other day in my journal, man, I'm so thankful that I walk to the kitchen and turn on the faucet and clean drinking water comes out. Yeah. When like fifty percent of the planet doesn't have that, so we should never forget how good we have it, right? And that gratitude is powerful. So these little prompts and I don't always write the same stuff every day. It's not one prompt that I use every single day, except for the two things that I track, right. Which are just like easy to track. Um, so that, that's been, that's been a helpful approach to take for me. I love
1: it. I think at some point I would like to get to a place where I could do more. I would love to just sit with my thoughts a little bit more. Um, I know that I can't take on one more thing right now. And so I do that. I'm focusing on some other goals that I have set for myself. Um, And so my fitness goals right now are kind of taking the the forefront outside of work and family.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good. I I think, you know, what I've done in the past is I've let my mental health get away from me, which I never thought I would say those words. I never thought I would say those words ever. I'm just, I'm just too proud to say those things and what um what i have been focusing on here recently is really thinking about the emotions that i have during the day that i don't ever tell anybody about that i don't ever acknowledge for myself and sort of pulling those out and pulling the thread on a little a little bit and this is hard It's, it's work right but it's like okay why am i upset about this thing? Or why did that rub me the wrong way? Let me spend a few minutes just thinking through that and maybe writing something down about that because it's going to teach me something about myself, who I am. It'll help make me better at some point. So that's just where I am on my journey. And, um, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been really helpful. I've got, I can tell you more stories about sort of the past few months sometime, probably not on the podcast, but
1: I mean, listen. This is why. I mean, three months ago, I embarked on my own journey of giving up alcohol, and I've just crossed over my ninety-day mark. I think ninety-two days today, where I haven't had a sip of alcohol. Wow! And that wasn't driven because I am drinking every day. I my drinking wasn't a frequent thing. It was when I drank, I drank. Right, and it's kind of like my permission to throw away the day. To be honest with you, if I decide to drink, because I knew if I'm drinking, I there will be no exercise after it. There will be no thought around calorie consumption or whatever, right? Like so, this became throwaway afternoons or evenings, and yes. I didn't like that. I didn't like the way I felt the day. I didn't feel like the way I felt the next day. And quite frankly, at this age, it lasted two or three days of not feeling great. So, <laughs> you know what? I thought, why? Why am I doing anything? Something that is a very short-term high for a very long-term low. Mm-hmm. Um. And did away with it. And I got to tell you, like the past 90 days, I've had a lot of friends asking me, like, how do you feel? Like, why are you going on this journey? And it's not to say that I'm giving up alcohol forever. This isn't like a forever thing. I, I will. It's probably define myself as sober curious, um, but I've really enjoyed it. I, I like, I have a clear mind, a clear, a clear life. I'm more focused mm-hmm. on my health and my fitness and eating well and being present in moments mm-hmm. where Otherwise, I'm maybe a little less present Mm -hmm. and I've loved it. I probably have become a little bit more judgy, but I, I love it. And so, you know, that was something that I did for my, for my mental health. The, for me, I mean, obviously anybody who consumes alcohol probably knows it's a depressant. And for me, it's medication.
0: It's it's medication.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It had, um, some, you know, b- bigger impacts on me that I just didn't, I didn't enjoy any longer. So it wasn't yes. serving me well. And I've decided to just eliminate things that don't serve me well. Sometimes those are people, they don't serve <laughs> me well, they got to go to. Um, but yep. I think it's important that we focus on our mental health and invest the time to to take care of ourselves. Because uh, if we don't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of those around
0: us. That's right. That's right. All right, let's wrap it up. This has been awesome. So
1: this might've been my favorite podcast. Take that, yeah. Joe.
0: Yeah, this is good. So we'll um, we'll figure out what we're going to do next week. Um, but just just a, a note for everybody. So if you like this podcast, if you like what we're yammering on about and there's plenty more on this podcast too that, you know, Jeff has been really carrying the torch and driving some great conversations with directors and VPs of CS who are doing awesome things. So, but if you like what you're hearing here, please, it would help us so much if you'd leave a rating on Spotify or Apple podcast. um, So other people can find it. Um, We've, done this i don't know 220 230 episodes now so we're going to recycle some episodes jeff's going to be out we're going to bring up some of the the classics um and, and pl- throwback yeah a little some throwback episodes so we're we're looking to increase the volume again of, of the podcast we, we pretty consistently on a weekly basis now are publishing at least one but we're going to get back to to maybe two or possibly even three per week um because you know There's just a lot of good things out there going on and and we like to talk about them here. So anyway, Christy, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for the conversation. We'll do it again next week.
1: Likewise, Jay. All
0: right. Have a good day.
1: All right. Bye everyone.
0: Hey, everybody. Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, We grow this by word of mouth, so we'd we'd love it. If you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast, leave us a rating or a review on on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, Yet, please sign up for gain grow retain the online community it's gaingrowretain.com you can meet other people make one-on-one connections share ideas get ideas grow your career ultimately um, be on the lookout also for live events both in person and virtual this year we're excited to get back to that and thanks for being part of the community we look forward to talking to you soon